Ladies and gentlemen, it's another two-man show. This week on Dying Alive, we talk to Shana Goldman about the New York Rangers and everything that's going on up north. Then here on the show, we talk about the sudden resignation of Penguins, now former general manager Jim Rutherford, the week that was, and then of course, your correspondences. This is the Dying Alive Podcast. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Dying Alive podcast. A little bit late this week because, you know, life happens, things happen. And unfortunately, similar to the Penguins, we're playing a little bit hurt this week. I am Pat Damp of thepensblog.com as well as KDKA. Joined with me this week is my good friend and also my coworker, Mike Darnay. Mike of Pensburg fame, I should add. How you doing, man? I'm good, you? Hanging in there. Glad you're back. Yeah. You know, yeah, having sh- jo- sh- Shuffle things around a little bit. Yeah, it was cool having our guest co-host last week with Josh Taylor. Good friend of mine, good friend of yours, good dude overall. But it's nice to get the crew back together, even if it is down one. But in the sta- in similar state of the Penguins and this podcast, really, because it's been our brand since we started, we're playing hurt. Yeah, it is what it is. So we might as well jump right into it. Shocking week for the Pittsburgh Penguins. A lot of you guys on Twitter were calling for us to do an emergency podcast, but again, we do this for free. We yeah, do it for free. Yeah, we tried. It didn't work. Yeah, we tried our. We actually did make an attempt. We did talk amongst ourselves about possibly jumping on and doing a quick, like, 20 minute emergency pod, but we weren't able to make it work. But by now, you're well aware it's been all over the place and it's very known news, but. Out of nowhere, former general Jim, former general manager Jim Rutherford resigns his position with the Penguins, and literally nobody, nobody saw this coming. It was if you're a hockey fan, especially in this day and age, right, an NHL fan, and chances are you're probably on Twitter in some in some capacity. You're following the big dogs, the Darren Dreggers, the Elliot Friedmans, the the Radix and all those guys, and you're like, there's always some kind of an inkling. There's always like a, hey, I'm hearing, I'm hearing some rumblings that something might happen with Pittsburgh today. Um, uh, my sources are telling me they're, to keep an eye on the Penguins' Twitter account. They might have some news today. None of the sort for the Penguins. Just out of the blue, the Penguins drop. GM Jim Rutherford has resigned his position as general manager of the Pittsburgh Penguins effective immediately. So, thoughts? Yeah, I, um... <laughs> I saw the press release in my email before I saw it on Twitter, and I thought it was fake. I didn't think it was real. I thought it was like a fake email from somebody or something. Yeah, because I, I I think it was. I can't remember if it was me and you directly or if it was in our work Slack channel where we were like, "Hey, are we sure about this? Like, did did Rutherford just resign or is somebody fucking with us?" And yeah, and um, thoughts after that. I'm not all that surprised. Um, I think Rutherford took one day at a time, and that's kind of how he handled the hockey operations too. It's if I can make a good trade tomorrow that comes up, I'm going to do it. And he he might have just decided that he didn't want to, didn't feel like doing this anymore. Yeah, and the other thing I can't remember who I who I read it from where, but I remember seeing somebody say like one of the biggest things for Jim Rutherford was the fact that that he was a guy who 
thrived on the personal side of it, right? Like showing up to the rink, talking with his hockey op staff, talking to his coaching staff. You know, game day, he goes and talks to the other staff from the other team. You know, he's working the phones all the time. Coming to the rink is his lifeblood. Well, in COVID times, that's gone. He's He doesn't get to go to the rink. He doesn't get to talk to his staff in person. And, I mean, that gives you a lot of, you know, most people listening to this realize, it, you know, because we're damn near a year into this. You spend all that time at home by yourself or with your immediate family. It gives you a lot of time to think. And there was probably a lot of thinking done by Jim Rutherford of, like, man, is my heart still in this? And, and when it comes and, to being an NHL general manager, there is no half in. You got to be all in. And even if there was some kind of squabble between him and ownership or him and his superiors, I mean, I feel like it's kind of like an old guy thing to say, all right, well, I'm just going to quit then. It's fine. Like, and he has that right. It's fine. It is what it is. Yeah. And, 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 I, and I don't subscribe to the whole Jim Rusher screwed the Penguins over thing either. Because, I mean, it goes the same way as in any other line of work. Employees get shamed for quitting, um, but employers never get shamed for letting people off. Exactly, and and, I'm, and I thought you were going kind of in a different area with that of you know leaving the Penguins in a bad spot. I, I mean, one, regardless of how you feel about it, the Penguins general manager manager job right now is still a coveted position. Yeah, and and two, just look at the look at the rafters. There's two more banners up there. Yep. Like, and like, I wrote I wrote a thing about that. Is I saw a lot of discussion of the way he's leaving is his legacy with the Penguins. No, his legacy with the Penguins is back to back Stanley Cups. Yeah, the one and only team that has won back to back Stanley Cups in the salary cap era. That's nothing to yeah. sneeze at. Yeah. And trust me, I've it, it happened on this podcast. It happened on Twitter. It happened on Penn's blog with my writing. I have been just as critical of Jim Rutherford as everybody else, and I have not been happy or satisfied with the work he did in the past two, three years. But the man was supposed to be a three, maybe four-year max general manager. He made it this long, won back-to-back Stanley Cups, and had them as a contender, I'd say, through 2018-2019, really. And that's... Uh, that's important, and I, I, I'm not happy with some of his latest moves. But at the same time, like the man wins two Stanley Cups, yeah, did his job. That, that's all there is to it, really. So I mean, so, and, and at this point, as far as I'm concerned, there's no sense in trying to re- revise history, rewrite history, review history. The past is the past. They just need to hire somebody now. That's that's all there is. Well, well, then let's talk about that real quick. You know. That kind of confuses me a little. A little, I understand his resignation and the suddenness of it kind of threw the Lemieux group and the Penguins for a loop that, okay, so all of a sudden we don't have a GM, but it just feels weird to me that they're kind of rushing this this decision to get another general manager in place. What do you think? Um, I think it kind of is a tell that they want to hire somebody with not so much experience, but maybe a more extensive contact list from years working rather than yeah, going can, with a new I, guy. I will say, yeah, I can see that. I can definitely see that. But like, you know, I kind of also look at it like regardless if you, if you like, and I, you know, this is why Jesse's our host and not me, but I kind of forgot to mention 
Patrick Alvin, AGM, is now the interim acting general manager as they begin their search. He's also a candidate for the position. But like, I, I, there's enough people in that front office. You know, Craig Patrick's still there, a guy who has been a general manager for this team on two separate occasions and was pretty damn good at it. That I, you know, he has enough people around him that maybe if you're not that confident that he can be the general manager for the rest of the year, he can he can handle it with enough people around him. But that said, at the same time, the list of people that they have been talking to, uh, as we record, uh, Drury was out. He got promoted to AGM with the Rangers, uh, which that kind of had that feel of like you know, leveraging your current employer uh, to get a better position. You know, oh, the Penguins want to hire me, so what do you think? And then he got his his promotion, got his pay raise. But I think the list that they have right now is a pretty solid list. I mean, you look at it, they have Mike Gillis, Mike Fuda, Ron Hextall, Tom Fitzgerald, and the obvious of Jason Botterill, who has, you know, kind of always been a guy that's on the Penguins' radar even when he was here, so... I think if that's the list that, that, that Rob Rossi has been reporting and following at The Athletic, no matter who they come out with there, they're in good hands. Yeah, I feel I feel like they have avoided names like Dale Talon, names like Peter Shirelli that are concerning that might come up. Yeah, the, the, two, the two concerns in my eyes, I forgot to mention them there, are one, John Ferguson Jr., in his time with the Leaf, from his time with the Leafs in the 2000s, and then Kevin Weeks, who talking with a friend of ours, Matt Geica, uh, I don't, get, I agree with him. I don't get why, like, I go back and forth on it. I don't get why his name constantly comes up because he's never done it, yeah. right? But at the same time, I also have that thought process of like, well, eventually you have to be given the opportunity to do it. So like, maybe this is the that opportunity. So. I don't know, but I but looking at the list, the the guy that I want, and you know, Penguins fans, feel free to grab your pitchforks and torches. I want Hextall. Hextall is my number one. Uh, I, I I'm I'm skeptical that Fuda's going to take it. He would be my number one, but I just for some reason I don't think he does. So for me, I want I want Hextall. Yeah, and I like the I like the idea of hiring the president of hockey operations and Mike Gillis. And I'm not sure if everybody has seen the proposal that he submitted to the Penguins or allegedly submitted to the Penguins that was leaked to Reddit. Um, But it's very extensive and it seems that he has evolved and adapted um, to embrace a lot of the analytical side of things. Um, And if you go back to his time in Vancouver, he was the... um, builder of a very successful team. So I think I think it might be a good time to add in that another level of organization. Yeah, I don't think it's the worst idea for them to get a president of hockey operations, all things considered, especially when you talk about somebody like Gillis, who, I mean, at the time, in the, in the early 2010s, in, in late 2000s, I mean, Vancouver was one of the most progressive, uh, forward-moving, forward-thinking organizations in the NHL, and it showed you know, they, they, like, losing that series to that Stanley Cup final to Boston sucked, but at the same time, like, that was one of the best Stanley Cup finals there have ever been. Yeah, And, and that and, team was so good. And going back to Gillis or, or hiring a president of hockey operations, I wouldn't be opposed to that. And then even um, letting someone like Patrick Alvine 
um, make his pitch to keep the job on a permanent basis. And, and at that point, you have somebody with a long contact list in history overseeing the position. Absolutely. I mean, the reason I want Hextall, and again, Penguins fans listen to this, grab your pitchforks and, and, and torches for me. I don't care. The Flyers are really good right now. And the Flyers are going to be really good for the foreseeable future. And the reason is, Hextall's handprints are all over that. And he drafted well, he developed well. Flyers ownership just did not have the patience for him. And there was obviously, uh, they weren't a fan of the coaching hire, which which makes sense. But, uh, but you know. Or, or maybe even the, the inability to act and remove the coach. It was the old, well, if you're not going to fire the coach, then we're just going to fire you so we can fire the coach. Yeah, but I mean, you know, his time in Philly to me is a net positive. Like that was a team that needed to do a half rebuild and retool, and he did it really well. So, like, the time is coming, and we say it on this podcast all the time, the time is coming that the Penguins are going to have to rebuild. And that's a guy that I would put a lot of trust in to – to do a good job of, of allocating scouting resources and drafting, having a very savvy draft record and, and rebuilding the farm in Wilkes-Barre and Wheeling for, for Pittsburgh overall. So if he's a guy that's seriously being considered, and I'm Mario Lemieux and, and Burkle and the ownership group, he's a guy that I am giving a very, very long look at. Yeah, yeah, it'd be fine with me. So as we look forward, we'll real quick, we'll talk about the past week. Uh, up and down week for the Penguins. They go back to their house of horrors in Boston. Uh, I said it with Josh on the last episode. Your best hope to me was a split because they just for some reason cannot win in Boston. Uh, they lose the first one 3-2 in overtime, but they clawed their way back from a multiple goal deficit to force overtime. And then I kind of, I don't want to, I don't know if I want to say lifeless, but a 4-1 loss the next time around. No, so. I, uh, honestly, I think the 4-1 loss was their worst game they played this season. It was bad. Uh, and other, then we than, have, other than maybe one of those two Flyers games. Yeah. And then we have uh, a 5-4 win over the Rangers on Saturday night, despite giving up three goals in the second period, which was just absolutely abysmal. But again... They, they, just, they have this tendency to have a bad eight, ten minutes where they can't get out of their own way. And it is a good thing that they are able to keep coming back after letting these happen, but but the bigger picture is they got to stop falling behind. They have to stop falling behind, and also they have to find a way because you are going to have pushback against other teams in this league, in the NHL. You know, I know I'm breaking major ground in saying that, you know, first time anybody's ever heard that, but... You are going to have pushback, and you are going to have moments in, in, in times in a game where the other team gets some offense and gets some time in your end. They have to find a way to not let those moments be catastrophic because that's what's happening. For Like you said, for 8 to 10 minutes, they just completely collapse in on themselves and just look terrible. Even that Rangers game, I don't think it was even that long. I think it was three goals in about four minutes. Yeah, it, 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 it was just... A short time that was completely and utterly disastrous. Name a mistake and they made it. Yeah. But the game that I want to focus on more than any is the three-one loss from Monday. We talk. You'll get. You guys will hear it a little bit. We talk about this with Shayna. The the biggest impediment to that game's 
that game was the fact that the power play went 0 for 6. Um, I actually did not watch that game. I was unable to. I, I That was one of the first games that I got to watch front to back all year long. Like, you know, I've been watching a lot of condensed games, a lot of games the day after. Like, so I watched this one in real time. And I talked about it with one of our former guests of the show, Rachel Dory. And it was exactly what we talked about on this show with her. The Penguins' power play gained the zone, stood still, passed it around the perimeter for a minute and a half with a couple clears here and there, and never had a threat. And we talked about it with her. A team like the Penguins, their power play should never stand still. They they should gain the zone. There should be cons- there should be constant puck movement, constant rotation, constant cycling. Catch them out of position and get a mismatch two on one, two on zero oh in front of the net and score. And they just never did it. I mean, even even broad picture, not even saying whether the power play looked good or looked bad or the way they were set up, you can't go over six and expect to win a game. No, and that was the difference. The Rangers' game-winning goal was on the power play. The Rangers got an opportunity in the third period, or second or third period, I can't remember, but they got a power play opportunity when it was 1-1, and they scored. Yeah, you, just, and that's, you, can't, that's, you can't come away empty-handed 0-6. Yeah, that was, and that's inexcusable. And by all accounts, it's what they've worked on this week with the the Devils games being being postponed due to a COVID breakout. Um, I mean, real quick, I want to touch on that. I mean, how much faith do you have in this season not being suspended at some point? I think they'll they'll get through it. I I think they're going to get through it, but I I think there's a chance within the next month that we're going to see like a three week break. Yeah. And this season's going to be on pause because, I I mean, you know, black and white issue here. The reason it hasn't happened in the North Division up in Canada is Canada is taking COVID seriously. The United States, it's a coin flip on where you go. Some places are, some places aren't. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I feel like they might just power through it. I mean, the MLB did. Yeah. (laughs) So, hard, hard, uh, hard pivot out of that. The one positive that we can take out of the past week, absolutely overall, is the play of young defenseman Pierre Olivier or Pio Joseph. Excuse me. They want to they want to refer to him as Pio Joseph. So, I, I mean, it sucks because I don't know if this is you know me being cynical or what, but I remember having this hype about John Marino last year and looking at Marino this year. I'm like. I might want to pump the brakes here, but damn, has P.O. been good. Yeah, he's been really good. Um, during the Rangers win before the 3-1 loss, when he scored three points, he looked really, really, really good. And I think the biggest thing for me uh, out of all of that for him is the fact that it's just the confidence level. He doesn't look out of place. I mean... There were moments with Marino last year, as good as he was, where he you could you could kind of go, okay, like rookie defenseman learning the ropes, but but it was excusable. A few games PO has played, I'm just like, this kid looks like he's been in the league for five years. He knows where to go. He, I mean, the the OT winner against the Rangers from Crosby was because Crosby had a lot of trust in Joseph, handed him the puck, got the puck back, put found him in a scoring position, and he scored like. That's not that that's that's something you want to see out of a rookie ideally but you don't always because they're 
they're still figuring it out. And that was just an absolutely savvy play. And not to mention, it was three-on-three overtime, and Sullivan was like, all right, I trust you, go. Yeah, and he seems to be avoiding the big mistake. Yeah, that's the biggest thing. Like, there has been, there's been little things here and there where you're like, ah, I should have had a stick there, or you know, maybe should have angled him off better there, but there has not been a, like, oh, man, that's bad mistake. Yeah. So, on the other side of the coin is Gino. Is Gino broken? I'm not sure what's going on there. I know he kind of brought it up that training in Russia wasn't as good as it should have been or could have been because of COVID with gyms and things. Um, but we also heard that he was in the best shape of his life during their short training camp. So I'm not really sure what what we got going on there. Yeah, I think I think that might have been a little bit of lost in translation too. Uh, I think he might have been referring more to hockey rinks, like rinks not being open, like. He, he probably showed up in great shape because he probably didn't have much else to do except work out and hang with his family. So he might have been in great physical shape, but we hear it all the time. There's being in great shape, and then there's being in hockey shape. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you from not NHL, but personal experience, there is a huge difference. Like, you know, pre-pandemic, I was in fairly good shape. And then I'd go play, of all things, beer league, and I would be like, holy fuck, I am not in hockey shape. Like, I would skate, like, once up and down the ice and be like, and I think I'm done for the night. That'll be enough for me. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, I think the thing that's worrying me about Gino, more than anything, is he's trying. He's in that mode where he's trying to do too much. And that's when we know Gino is struggling. He's trying to do everything himself. He's trying to do things that are a little more complicated, like trying to skate through five guys or, you know, make one extra move or one extra pass or one extra cut. And it ends in a turnover. It ends in a missed opportunity. It ends them being out of position. When Gino is playing straightforward and simple, that's when he is the Russian bully and he is at his best. And we just just haven't seen that yet. Keep simplify things, keep them basic and just north and south. So right now, as of now, we still do have a game coming up. We're going to play the dreaded and boring New York Islanders. So if you guys got Saturday night plans, make sure it doesn't involve watching from your bed because you might fall asleep. I believe they are going to play the Islanders about six times in the next four weeks, maybe even less than four weeks. Yeah, and this is going to be a big test, I think. You know, the Rangers are, you know, as you'll hear in our interview with with Shayna, they're a young, scrappy team that's still figuring it out. Obviously, there's Boston, who's still Boston, and the Capitals and Flyers, but Islanders are going to be a big test because they are a very boring, very defensive, accountable team, and we're going to see what kind of Penguins team we have this year, if they're going to be the team that tries to force everything and make it work, or if they can actually sit back, be patient, and trust the system. Yeah, yeah. These next few weeks are going to be interesting because I'm looking at the schedule right now. Um, they play the Capitals. It looks like five times or four times, and the Islanders six times in a 22-day period. It looks like it's mostly just the Capitals and Islanders for the next few weeks. Welcome to the slog, ladies and gentlemen. We got to get out of this. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24/7 US-based live customer service from Discover, 
Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So, coming up here, we're going to welcome in Shannon Goldman. She is an absolute star. Uh, You can find her just about everywhere from The Athletic to Hockey Twitter. She even sells some really cool masks on Twitter, so keep an eye out for that. But enjoy our interview with her, and when we come back, we will take your correspondences. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast, a absolute star of hockey Twitter. Welcome in, Shana Goldman to the podcast. Thank you for being here. How's it going? Going good. Thanks for having me. So we got to jump right into it. They have become familiar foes this season, the Penguins and the Rangers, and there's a lot of things that this team, these two teams suddenly have in common now, and we got to start with one of the most common threads between the Penguins and the Rangers now, and it's something that we had to suffer through for the last couple of years, and now it is your burden to bear, the Jack Johnson experiment. How are you guys up there dealing with just an absolute legend of a defenseman on your blue line? Well, it really does depend who you ask because so many people will tell you, um, you know, he shows up. He's at the rink every day. I know we were talking about this, Mike. What, you know, what can you say about him? And they were like, he's there every day. He's dependable. And it's like, okay, but like, tell me more. What does he do at said rink besides skating? How does he look while he's doing it? And don't tell me about like his appearance. I want to know like how he's playing. What's the quality of play? Um, It's. So he's injured right now, and it, yeah. Well, no, actually, I would say it's actually injured because um, they are to the point where they have to bring someone up from the taxi squad because they lost two lefty defensemen already. Um, It was interesting because at the beginning he was competing against Brendan Smith, and everybody was talking about Jack Johnson for character, and I'm going, well, you have this guy, Brendan Smith, who literally every rookie has clung to, and, you know, with Kako and all these young players, they work so well with Smith off the ice and everything. So here is your character guy who actually is good when you play him on defense and not as a forward, you know, <laughs> wild concept here. Um, and, and then Jack Johnson got this spot over him to start. And then when uh, Smith was in the lineup and Johnson was as well for a game, if did they bench Tony D'Angelo, um, John, uh, Smith had a great game. And then after that, he had a mediocre game. So it was kind of like what you could expect. Johnson though, it's been consistently not good and he consistently gets chances, and he was a healthy scratch once, and had he been healthy now, he would just be a mainstay at this point, especially with the Smith injury. Um, but it's he's he's getting minutes, and he's getting minutes on the penalty kill too. So it, it's a thing. As everyone, like, as everyone expected it to be, I know everyone was like, oh, look at the money. It's just a seventh defenseman. It was like, no, he signed here for a reason. They did not sign him for a seventh defenseman, and we know coaches' tendencies to go for these character players, especially when there's that familiarity with um, Martin. Yeah, uh, one thing I was going to bring up that you brought up was I saw it here in Pittsburgh. I saw it from Rangers fans online. When they signed him, everything was, he's just going to be a seventh defenseman. It's like, okay, are you just trying to talk yourself into this to feel better or what? Yeah, that's always the response it'll like let's downplay it and like i understand you need to find that middle ground because you can look at it and throw a shit fit and panic and be like oh my god why the fuck did they just sign jack johnson and 
you know, you're not wrong to when you look at everything. And on the other hand, you could be like, it's no big deal. He's just a seventh defenseman. Like, it's somewhere in between. You could probably mitigate some of the damage by playing him in sheltered minutes and on the third pair and really limit his role. But the problem is you also need to have a good partner for him, which originally he was slated to play with Tony D'Angelo, who is not some defensive stalwart as much as he can drive play. And you could see tendencies that he did that were things you'd want Rangers defensemen not to do. Like when it's like his gap control and the way he was backing up against the blue line. And they, by design, have allowed the opponents to just walk into the defensive zone. He didn't have the foot speed to catch up. And you don't have someone who's super good on, on your right side who can handle it. And the forwards, there's been defensive issues with as well. So it's like, there's reason to have that concern. And when he wasn't playing seventh defenseman minutes, you know, the concern was pretty much right. Yeah, and, and all those concerns you addressed, we've seen for, for four or five teams now. And those things aren't going to change. Well, and the thing I was going to say, though, uh, kind of in response to the seventh defenseman thing, like obviously now he's he's hurt, but like if he comes back, he's going to be playing out of necessity because of other injuries mm-hmm. as well as other roster moves, which we'll get into. But you can at least look at the contract that he signed with the Rangers, which obviously is a, the caveat there is he got bought out by Pittsburgh, so he's getting paid from that as well. But you could at least look at what he signed in New York and say, like, well, that's seventh defenseman bottom pair money. Like, when he signed here, it was like they went out and yeah. got him. Yeah. Like, they gave him, there they was gave no him term the, money. Yeah. There was no, like, oh, okay, we're going to take a flyer on this guy and see how he does. Like, <laughs> the, the Rangers took a flyer. Ish. The Penguins were like, no, 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 ish. Yeah, because ish. you would think 700000 you know, for that depth defensive role, which they've done. You look at, like, Frederick Cleason and contracts like that. They're not giving $1.2 million. I mean, the one nice thing is they didn't add term. That's something that I feel like has been a sticking point with so many contracts that they've given out when it's like, who is this player? Why are you signing him for this long? Why are you giving him this extra year? You don't need to. Why are you bogging down your books? Like, for players like this, you want it. Like, obviously, anyone can look at the Rangers books and be like, well, they kind of overpaid for Truba. And, like, yes, it's true. And despite his performance over the last two years, you know, last season, from the day he signed it, you could go, it's a slight overpayment. But that's the kind of overpayment you want for someone who has that potential versus... Someone who is, I don't know, the worst ranked defenseman in the league. Yeah, over overpaying for a good player is a small problem. Overpaying for a bad player is a very big problem. Exactly. Right. And, and I mean, the other thing that you can say in, in fairness for the Rangers right now, I think, and I could be completely wrong, is just that they're, they're a younger team that's rebuilding and on the come up. So, like, when you sign these older guys, it's almost like a patchwork. Like, they're not going to be part of your core. It's like, okay, we need... We need a warm body on the roster, so we'll fill in around it. But, like, there has been a couple questionable ones, including Jack uh, Jack Johnson. But also, it's still a problem technically because it's on the books. we got to talk about it, unfortunately, is the Tony D'Angelo situation that happened in New York. So what are you guys seeing up there? We obviously will have our opinions because we exist in the hockey Twitter world and around the hockey world. We have our opinions on it, but... What's the view of it in Rangers' world right now? So from day one, it was a questionable trade because you the team was moving their number one center, who maybe wouldn't be a number one center on another team, but at the bottom line was there was a top six center and a goaltender who had the potential to be a starter for the seventh overall pick, which I believe they wanted to go higher and try to aim for Kale McCarr, but they couldn't, and Tony D'Angelo. They didn't go for Chikrin. They didn't go for a defender that didn't have, like, this checkered past who was going on to his third team. You knew what you were getting into. And you can look at it from any perspective and go, he was a kid. He could have changed. He could have evolved. And I agree because people can become 
better human beings when they learn. But there were issues along the way still with discipline, even if it wasn't to the extent it was in juniors, that might raise a couple red flags and might be a reason why he didn't stick for two other teams. Um, what was interesting was, by the numbers, he was the defenseman that you would give that chance to in the lineup. Um, they had a really terrible blue line at the time, and they didn't have someone who could actually move the puck up the ice and have his offensive upside. So there were reasons why he should have been played when he wasn't. And then it started pretty early. Like, you know, there were problems on Twitter while he was in Hartford and he wasn't playing well. Then he came up as a result of injuries. He did play well. And then he himself got hurt. So the David Quinn era was like the best thing that could have happened for him because this was a coach who wasn't going to take the bullshit and was going to make it clear. I understand your ceiling. I know how we can get you there, but you need to get out of your own way. And if you don't, I will put you in your place constantly. So if he took an undisciplined penalty, he was going to miss a game or he was going to sit for most of that game. And it was things like that that, like, you know, I think that's the answer a lot of coaches give to young offensive defensemen. You know, oh, if you script defensively, you're not going to play. You're going to be benched. You're not going to get that chance to learn from it. But this was a player that it was very clear, like, that's kind of what you needed to happen. And it did pay dividends because you look at last year, he was driving play. He was a uh, power play quarterback for the first unit. He was scoring, which is what everybody's going to look at. But below the surface, he was doing the right thing to bring the puck into the zone. He was carrying it and maintaining possession. His defensive numbers still weren't great. He still wasn't great at, you know, defending entries against. But you could mitigate that on the third pair. The problem where I think the end of the road you kind of saw was um, the contract situation because you're going to be paying this defenseman money because he's scoring and because he's driving play when you now have Truba making $8 million a year. And now you have Adam Fox who bunny hopped him on the defense chart, you know, instantly for his play in both zones. So now you're paying this player at least $4 million. And then, you know, it's going to increase um, when you have defensive prospects like coming up that are on the right side too. Um, and then you add in everything off the ice, which is the, what everybody saw. There was denying COVID there was um, political conspiracies. And I know everyone will look at it and be like, well, you just don't like him because he's conservative. Like, it was because it was damaging. It was constant. And as much as he said he was going to quit, he didn't. And you can make, you know, the question, did the Rangers enable him? And there are a lot of reasons you could look at and be like, yeah, they did. And obviously, it might have been a tough situation for them to handle as well. But um, this year, it really did come to a head after he took an undisciplined penalty in the first game the general uh, general manager said that he couldn't move past it. That's where all the problems were. And it just kind of spiraled from there. And if any issues happened, like, that was it for him. Like, he had run out of chances. And do I think if he was, you know, putting up numbers like he did last year and he was on that first power play unit, which he lost his spot to Adam Fox and didn't earn it back, do I think we'd be having this conversation? Probably not, unless the altercation did happen, but it probably wouldn't have if he was playing well. I think that they probably have been like, oh, it's fine. He's playing well. And just keep pushing everything below the surface and then hopefully trading him in the future because it just wouldn't work from a cap standpoint unless something else gave. And I don't think that would have happened. I think, like, he would have had to be moved eventually. But, yeah, so it all ended with um, his goaltender reportedly punching him in the face after he made a comment to him after a game against the Penguins. Um I, too, would definitely be mad at my goaltender for, uh, you know, allowing a goal against Sidney Crosby, who is, you know, <laughs> only an elite player. But, hey. And, uh, yeah, now now he uh, he cleared waivers and we're waiting for a trade. Yeah, and, I, I, you know, giving up a goal to Sidney Crosby, I mean, a scrub like that, I'd be pissed, too, if I was defenseman letting Sidney Crosby score. <laughs> but, you know, that's just me. 
how much of this, to, or what I was going to say is a lot of this, to me, the biggest red flag, and I think it kind of showed the, the, the brokenness behind this, was the fact that when he was initially drafted in Tampa, Stevie Y, one of the most re- well-respected, quote-unquote, hockey men, I hate it too, but <laughs> we passed that, uh, <laughs> is he basically was like, listen, he screwed up. He's 18. I screwed up when I was 18. People can change. But if he screws up again, that's it. Right. And that came from Stevie Y. And he screwed up again. And he kept getting chances. And eventually, like you said, it all came to a head with the altercation with, with, with the goaltender. And then it ends up turning into, you know, then all the other stuff that bubbled under the surface, the Twitter BS and all of that. And, you know, People, like you said, people were like, oh, it's because he's conservative. No, it's because he was an asshole. Like, right. There's so it, many like, conservative players who aren't spewing hateful garbage constantly and players who don't have that past. And the team can say that that's not a part of it. But, like, hey, I wouldn't be talking shit about a player that I'm going to suddenly be trading. Like, you you put the pieces together when they go, he's a great player. There's no problem in the locker room. No, 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 no. The personality, the Twitter stuff, none of it. But we do want to trade him. Yeah, oh. and it and it reminds me. Um, like obviously, for the from the Rangers' perspective, it sucks now to have a player who makes a good amount of money on waivers and having cleared waivers. But it's um, the the infamous tweet about reaping and sowing. Like you knew what was going to happen here, right? And then you ask, could you have traded him sooner? And like, I would think. Look, if teams are considering him now. After everything that's happened in the last, I don't know, year, don't tell me teams wouldn't have accepted a trade when he was on, you know, a much cheaper deal before he signed this two-year extension. Right-handed defensemen are not, you know, easy to find. Defensemen who can run a quarter, uh, sorry, run a power play, not always easy to find. And with that, that offensive upside, and like, if you can harness it right, you have this player who maybe it's never going to be a defensive, you know, all-star, which you don't need to be. You can teach defensive structure or you can hide it with the right partner. You can't teach to have this unbelievable offensive skill. And if that's what teams felt that he had, and now you mix it with, he has some bite. He's not going to be pushed around. He'll defend your teammates. You can spin it any way you want. Yes, you would have dealt with pushback then, but not like you're going to now. You acquire him now after all of this, and you're going you're gonna to have to deal with, you know, some accountability from your fans. We know players who have done more still have chances in this league, but you're going to tell me you couldn't have traded him sooner? Like, you had to assume something else is going to give, especially, like, when it started brewing with everything off the ice with Twitter and everything. And even if you said we completely ignored that, you have to, like, it's a business, and every general manager will tell you this. It's not personal. You need to know when to sell high or, you know, you you return on your investment, whatever you can do, and it's not going to be what it should have been now. Do you think someone will trade for him? Yes. Soon, really soon, later. Um, so a matter of a matter of circumstance when a team needs somebody that badly. Yeah, they they make it seem like they have you know trades in the works, and I'm sure like there are teams like sniffing around it. And I would also be sure that you know general managers or agents want you to think that there's more interest there to drive interest up for everybody else if you if it's it's kind of like testing the waters in that way because if all of a sudden like five general managers here like oh other teams are exploring this and it's okay and they're not getting too much shit for it okay maybe we should too like obviously it's going to be a little bit different then and they'll go we could give it a shot uh 
hearing Detroit's name in the rumor is a little funny to me because Eisenman did get rid of him once. But on the other hand, you have Mark Stahl, who he played very well with and could, you know, it could work again. Um, do I think and, they're and everybody get- and everybody loves a good reclamation project? Right. I mean, and, and well, the thing is, like, he has the skill. So in theory, it shouldn't be that much of a reclamation project. It's just keep your discipline and shut up and play. Yeah, and I, I kind of said the same thing on Twitter that you just did was like, you know, I think some of it is NHL going to NHL with there being interest. But I also think a lot of it is agent spin of like, hey, you know, there's interest here. People want them. And it's like and also and also Rangers GM, which is what they have to do with an asset like that. Like as much as I want to needle them for it, you know, to say like, oh, how dare you like. Blah, blah, blah. But like when they're actively trying to get rid of an asset, which they admitted to, they didn't, you know, come out and say like, nope, we're burying him on the taxi squad and he's we're going to, you know, just leave him there forever. They actively said they want to trade him. So you got to figure there's some uh, there's interest because the NHL is the NHL. It's what we're stuck with. But there's also got to be agents, agent and GM spin there to actively drive up interest. Now, to get away from the negative of Tony D'Angelo. The other big thing in New York is obviously the first overall pick in Alexis Lafreniere. So what are you guys seeing out of him? Obviously he had a slow start. You know, a lot of people kind of blowing that out of proportion because of some of those that came before him in the Austin Matthews and Connor McDavid's of the world. So how has he been faring when, you know, he's out of the eye of most of our listeners who are Penguins fans? So I think um, for Ranger fans, they probably look at it and think we don't want Kako 2.0, which is like, it's really harsh to say, but like there might be that feeling. And in ways, like I look at Kako and go, well, he didn't play up to his potential, but in other ways, I think, you know, you look at the quality of the Rangers lineup and how much he played in like a calendar year. There's like numerous factors going on there. And I think he'll be fine. Um, with Lafreniere, I, I, I'm not concerned. I think the thing is though, if you're not on the Rangers top two lines, especially now that Philip Heedle's out you're not playing with someone who can drive play. Your centers are going to be either Kevin Rooney, who's been fine on the fourth line. I have absolutely no problem with him as a fourth liner. And Brett Howden, who I think is more of a fourth liner than a third liner. And, and they don't have players like, you know, in the past they could have thrown a player like Jesper Faust on a line and go, okay, he's defensively responsible and he has some offensive upside and he can make any line work. He's that utility player. Really don't have that right now. So it, it definitely like can take away someone's potential. And that's where he started. And that's where he played last game. He did play up with um, Zibanejad and Buchnevich at one point. Um, he did uh, play with Buchnevich and Zibanejad at one point, and, like, he looked better. But even Zibanejad's not clicking as much as he could because he didn't have a training camp because he had COVID during it. And everybody seems to forget that, like, you can't just snap into game shape after not playing. You know, you played three games since March, and you're getting over COVID, so it might influence your play just a little bit. Yeah, and, and even not to interrupt you, but to go back to what you said about the top three lines, I feel like if you presented the names Kevin Rooney and Brett Howden to a very average hockey fan, they would have no idea whether they were any good, any bad, if they were even real people. Exactly. Like, so you can't expect some outstanding results, especially if he's not getting the minutes or he doesn't have like the quality of his teammates. Like he's had chances on the top two lines and he looked fine. Obviously, people are going to get worried, but I think this is where it comes. It comes. Uh, it becomes helpful to look at things past, like you know, points, because someone can have good results and be driving play and can help the team boost their offensive generation even without scoring. So I don't think it's a big deal if 
He's not putting up points off the bat. As long as you're not looking at things going, um, I'm concerned. Like, he's creating chances. He's contributing. He's playing on a brand-new team, a new system, a new system that, I mean, not for nothing, they've struggled to execute it themselves for years. Like, this is not – it's not like you're joining this elite group of players. It's nice that he has Panarin in front of him. It's nice Buchnevich is playing well. You have Kreider. You have Kako. You have other players who can take the brunt of it. But there's still going to be pressure at the first overall pick. And, you, like, you both had mentioned, like – there's players that have come before them, so it's going to bring up the expectations. It's really not a thing. Like, other former first overall picks played third-line minutes in their first year and put up middle six production, and they're fine. So it's not, not like number, he, Not all number one picks are created equal. Yeah, exactly. And not all of them jump into the NHL, and it's like everything's fine, especially in such a fucking weird year. On a, It's a pandemic, and you're playing on a crappy team. So <laughs> it, maybe if they, when they, you know, you, you could see their play uh, last night against Washington – like, they were playing at a higher level at points, and they're working on things for their consistency across 60 minutes and things like that. As that improves, I'm sure his play will improve, too, because you can't expect him to all of a sudden pick up this team and drag them along. Like, that's ridiculous. A player like Panarin's going to be doing that. And he even took a couple of games. You know, like, he looked fine the first few games because when you're an elite player and you're not playing at your best, you're still probably above average. But even he took a couple games to, like, hit his stride, and now he's looking like himself. So... When everyone else starts clicking, like it'll just all fall into place. Well, yeah, and uh, you know, look at look at Hughes right across the river in, in New Jersey right now. Like last year, we were all ready to load him into a rocket and fire him to the moon because he was just a complete. We were, we were writing bust columns, and you know what was New Jersey thinking? This organization's in disarray. Now, unfortunately, it's gone to the exact polar opposite level this year, and people are like, oh, my God, is he the next Sidney Crosby? And it's like, everybody put the horse back in the barn. He's very good. He's Hughes. But I think that we kind of got so spoiled with the likes of Matthews, McDavid, to throw it all the way back, Crosby, Ovechkin, these guys who came in and didn't miss a beat. Normally, guys come in, and it takes a year or two. They got to adjust to the speed. They got to adjust to the grind of an NHL season. They got to adjust to a whole new organization. They have to they have to adjust mentally. I mean, you know, you go from being the you know king shit and juniors to, in Lafreniere's case, you're in New York City, man. Like, it's the biggest market in the world. So, like, what you guys are seeing from so far, at least, do you think that that that's kind of if you had to look into your crystal ball, is that where he's heading? Like he's going to improve. Oh, yeah. No question. I mean, I think the thing is, too, like, you expect all, like, first overall picks. You you think of that tier, and you think that's what all of these players are. And like it was mentioned, like, they're not all created equally. He does not have the ceiling of Connor McDavid, and that's perfectly fine. You know, you don't expect every single player to walk in and become the best goal scorer in the NHL, the best two-way player. Like, it's so far-fetched to think that. If... Maybe if there weren't players higher on, uh, than him on the depth chart, he'd be doing a little bit more because he'd have to. But you don't want it that you have to put a prospect in and say, you have to be this game changer in year one. Like, what if that stunts their development? You just got to try to figure out what's right. Are they doing what's right for him? Maybe. I mean, we'll see. You know, like, it's too it's too soon to tell. And I think everyone's so quick to jump on it and be like, oh, they don't know what they're doing, especially after Kako. Because there are points the coaches even said, like, we don't know if we're coaching him the right way. And we're going to try to change our you know, ways. And you can make the argument, maybe they didn't know what they were doing, or maybe they did it right and it will all pay dividends in the end. He will be fine. You know, he's he has skill. You Like I said before, you can't teach to, someone to have that crazy good skill. They'll come into their own. Like, it's a whole package deal. And 
I don't know. Everything is just so weird this year. Like he didn't have, he had a training camp, but they didn't have preseason games. He didn't have as many in-game experiences to learn this team and learn his teammates and the systems. And then you have him shuffling between three different lines already. And even when he's been on those lines, it's not like he's necessarily played with the same people. At points, it was Buchnevich and Zibanejad or Kreider and Zibanejad or Panarin and Strom or Hedl and Kako or DiGiuseppe and Howden, which it was last game. Like it's completely different. I think it's tough when you're throwing someone around the lineup and going, Okay, make it work. Like, yeah, more, more moral of the story is what I tell everybody all the time is you need to settle down. Like, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, yeah exactly. and, and, and I mean, I remember, you know, and Mike, I'm sure you do too, first year the Penguins had Crosby. While Crosby's production and hype and individual play was exactly what everybody wanted it to be, I remember cracking open the hockey news and then being like, Penguins are Stanley Cup contenders this year. And I'm like, are, are you seeing this roster? Like, they got Crosby, great. But, they got Crosby for a reason. They were bad. But, yeah. Like, and the Penguins were awful in Crosby's rookie year. So, like, it's it's that it's that added unrealistic expectation. But what you're seeing from this team so far this year, what's the overall expectation for you at least? I don't want to, you know, lump in the people that listen to, like, WFAN and freak <laughs> out after every other game. But – like, from what you're seeing, what's your expectation for this Rangers team in, as you've said multiple times now, a weird year? So I think no matter what, going into it, this year was not their contending year. This was not, you know, their window was not open, whatever. Last year, they exceeded expectations. I think that's great. I think they went on a great run at the end. Obviously, it wasn't the ending anyone wanted, but you come back in after not playing for a century and play three games. I mean, you really, like, you're asking for a lot. Um I think that next year is the year where you start looking at it and go, you want them to be a playoff team. Even if they're not contenders yet, that's okay. That's where you want them to be that playoff team. There's no question they're going to make the playoffs. Not not a wild card team, not a French team. You want them to be in the mix for the playoffs, period. This year, that isn't the case. If you can make a wild card seed, fantastic. If you fall short, well, shit sucks. Like, you know, it's a different year in different divisions now. Not only are you competing against the likes of Pittsburgh and Washington and Philadelphia for these spots, now you have Boston thrown in there. So while maybe it helps to not have teams like Carolina and Columbus, that would be those. Um, I mean, I think Carolina could be like the top tier team and then Columbus would be more of the wild card team, but that's two more teams competing. You have the Islanders when there's obviously questions about what they'll be doing this year. And you have the Devils who are exceeding expectations, but will it last? And the Sabres, who I don't think too many people expect too much from. Um, it, it's really tough to say, oh, they're going to make the playoffs. It's, it's a different year. It's a different division. Everything is just so different. Like, I can't stress that enough because, you know, I know everyone's like, oh, we have hockey back. It's normal. Like, it's not. This is not normal yet. Um, if they can make a push and they're not just going to be falling to the bottom of the division, it's a win. If you see progress, it's a win. And there are things that we've seen instilled into them like resilience under David Quinn. I think that's the biggest thing that he's done this team doesn't just quit they don't you know obviously there's going to be weaknesses in their game but it, it, it just seems like that was something that they were missing that's a building block what can you take from there they improved their defensive structure last year their numbers improved as the year went on they had a more dimensional offense even though it wasn't great um now they have more forward depth than a sense but then all the injuries came in and it kind of sucks again but you know it, it it all is working towards something if they can progress and they're not at the bottom of the division, then the season was fine. And if not, and you see them completely fall flat, then you have some problems. But it looks like from some of their games, you can see, like, this team isn't terrible. 
that's a plus. Yeah, you don't got to tell two Penguins fans about injuries. We know all about that. <laughs> so, but I mean, I said it. I said it uh, when we did our season preview uh, about a month ago. Like, I, I didn't have high expectations, but I looked at the Rangers roster and I was like, you know what? They could be a team that they're not going to be awful, but they're also not going to be you know somebody that we go. They might win the division. Like, I gave you guys about a 50-50 shot of sneaking in on that four seed, just because it's a good enough team. And I mean, you have someone like Panarin and. Lafreniere comes into his own. You add a couple of the other guys around. Like that's a team that's not horrible. But like you said, this isn't the year to do it. If they do it, it's bonus house money. Congratulations, you guys are ahead of schedule. But this isn't what we expected. Yeah, exactly. Like if you can do anything, do anything besides what it's been the last couple of years. Like you have something working for you because it's all, that. That's everything is about growth and progress with this team. It's nice that they have you know more high-end players, like when you add in Lafreniere, like you have a, a more higher-end player than you had before on the third line, but you still have depth issues. You still have a lot of defensive issues, and you still have two young goaltenders. Like, you need time to mesh. You need time to grow. It probably won't happen in 56 games, and that's okay. Speaking of the goaltending, what's the assessment of life after Hendrik Lundqvist? I think that the Rangers are spoiled with Hendrik Lundqvist for the last 13 years, and I don't think he was ever appreciated enough. And it's amazing if you say things like that, especially if you're not a man, you will be told you're only doing it because he was handsome. And when you do things like post gifs of him sitting on the bench with uh, no hat on, it only added to that. But um, wait, 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 you're you're a soft G gif person. Oh, yeah. That's a problem. That's a problem. Allison Lincoln has a round with that. We call them moving pictures to avoid that. (laughs) It's it's a problem. We had that. We had that battle on this show before. The the sinner that pronounces that way is not present this week, luckily. But um, <laughs> what I was going to say though is, hi, man here, and uh, I'll say this about Henrik Lundqvist. Damn. Right. You know, like it's it's just like a known fact at this point. I think that so many people be like, oh well, it's you know the full pic. It's not the full picture. You look at Henrik Lundqvist, <laughs> a player. Period. That's an elite goaltender. He hid the Rangers' mistake. Not you know he covered for them. He did. Everything he needed to do, no, he didn't get a Stanley Cup with them. Should he have had him? Hell yeah. On any other team, he probably would have. And he came damn near close to it twice with a team that was terrible offensively and should not have made it nearly as far as they did. So, Well, the, L- the L.A. Stanley Cup final, one, that was one of the only, only times I've ever rooted for the Rangers. And two, it absolutely breaks my heart that he did not win a Stanley Cup for that franchise. Because yeah. as we just found out this offseason, he almost gave his damn life for that team. Yeah. 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 So I think I think people need to understand that you're you don't have Henrik Lundqvist anymore. Like things are going to be different. And while Shesterkin has a really high ceiling and I think that he is going to be the goaltender of their future. Like you got to give him a minute. Yes. He came in last year. He kicked ass at every single level he played at. He continued this great career that he's had so far. You got to give him a minute. Like the team in front of him is terrible. And now you're asking him to play a full NHL season. That's something different. Everything's new. It's, it, you know, I think he'll be fine. And I think Gary has a great, you know, 1B goaltender. So it's it's really not a bad situation to have. Like, yes, their goaltenders have been below average in a couple of these games so far. And people are panicking already. Like, oh, my God, if you could just get a save. Well, maybe if you could, like, not give up so many quality chances consistently, you get more saves. And if your goaltenders are your problem for a couple of, like a couple games here and there, like, tough shit. It's the NHL. You, you, goaltenders are asked to do a lot. They, they, you know, you need to improve how you play too. You need to carry your goaltender a couple nights because for 13 years you were just carried by one. 
So it, it, it's, there's got to be a little more give and take, and I think people forget that you know it's not normal to have a goaltender carry a game every single game. You can win a game six to five and still have a good game, but you need to right other players' wrong. So when your defense is weak and you need your goaltending to be there, like, sure. And when your goaltending might have a, an off night, your defense needs to be there and your offense needs to be there, which is, like, the biggest thing of all because that's how you win games is by scoring more goals. So even if you allow goals, you know, maybe try scoring them a little bit more. And that's something that, you know, the Rangers aren't this, like, offensive juggernaut yet. Maybe they'll get there, but they're not yeah, there yet. Yeah, it's, so. like, it's like the, the, the goalie allows two goals, but that doesn't mean the offense can't score three. Right, and even if even if the goaltender totally screwed up and you have a loss, like shit happens, it's one game. Yeah, I mean, I, I was told you win games by punching faces, but you know. Yeah, you need grit. You need heart. <laughs> you need to will your way to win. Yeah, exactly. They just have to want. So, they just have to want it more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You got to come out it's, and have a good start. Don't forget that one. You got to be a great character guy. <laughs> anyway, before we let you go, what? can the Penguins learn from the Rangers having such an elite penalty kill? Because that's the only reason the Penguins went 0 for 6 on the power play, right? <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> the Rangers finally have, like, a pretty okay-looking penalty kill, and I'm excited to see where it goes. Like, it's, it's an area I definitely want to focus in on more because their penalty kill for the last, I can't even tell you how many years, has been pretty damn bad, and it's just been goaltending. So... Not that it can't be, and not that I don't think the goaltenders can handle it. I don't think that they should have to handle it. I think that you want to add another dimension to your penalty kill by creating offense on it. It's like super strange concept, I know, um, <laughs> to not just go in a defensive shell. Uh, they're putting more offensive players on their penalty kill. That's what every team should be doing if you have the players. You don't want it that they can't. They can stop the puck. That's great and wonderful, but you kind of need to be able to do something with it, and it helps to be able to do something more than just shooting it down to the other side to kill some time and disrupt it. So... Players like Buchnevich, you know, he's really worked on his defensive game, and you can see the way he's back-checking. You know, he looks great on the penalty kill, and Zibanejad is a good two-way center. Um, and then you have players like Chris Kreider, who I've always wanted to see on the penalty kill because he's so fast, and he is good at working with the puck, and he, he knows how to work the clock. So I think that helps offensively and not playing. You don't want to have essentially four Jack Johnsons on the penalty kill. You want to have players like Adam Fox who can transition the puck up the ice and who also happens to be really good defensively. And by being good defensively, it's not necessarily that he only knows how to throw his body in front of the puck and snow angel on the ice, which now takes you out of position for everything else that's going to happen. You know, you think of that big body defenseman and that kind of style of play. If you can evolve past that, you're doing something right. And if you can do that while you're on the penalty kill, you're on the right path, like even more. So yeah, I mean, you can put, you can can put skilled players on the penalty kill without asking them to stand in front of the net and risk being injured blocking shots. Exactly. So if you can do that, then you have a better chance of stopping Malkin and Crosby and these top-level players. You know, if you can have players like John Marino as some of your leading penalty killers, you're doing something right. Absolutely. Uh, But I will say, and I said it on Twitter, and I ended up talking about it with a good friend of our show's, uh, Rachel Dory, that the Rangers PK must have been so damn happy with the Penguins power play because they got in the zone and stood still. So (laughs) before we go, before we uh, let you go here, where can people find you? What can they, what do you want to plug? Floor is yours. Let us know where you're, where you can be found. Um, You can find me on Twitter. It's Hey Shay with three Y's on the Hey and three Y's on the Shay because that's what happens when you keep your uh, high school Twitter handle. 
Um, and you can see a bunch of hockey moving pictures and graphs and things like that, or just me talking shit about everything because I have no self-control. <laughs> um, I sell masks, and I have Penguins ones, so, you know, how many, get them How many there. have you sold? Um, I think I'm around 1,600, but I have to double check. It's crazy. I thought I was going to sell 30, and this is, like, my full-time job. Um, I see them like all the time, and I'm all... I'm saying I see them all the time, and I'm like, I gotta buy one, and I just have not. I'm gonna, I'm probably gonna get off this episode and do that. <laughs> can, can we yeah, talk you into making a dying live mask? If everyone thinks I print fabric, though, that's the one thing everyone's oh. like, oh, do you? Oh, I don't yeah. do that. I buy team licensed fabric. Like, I don't, I don't need a problem here. I don't. I, yeah, I, I'm not advanced yet. My my little hey, Je- 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 Jesse just bought a house. He's got to have some disposable uh, disposable income to make us some fabric, right, Mike? Sure. <laughs> it's a very adult-like thing to do so um but yeah so that and I'm trying to think oh yeah i write things there's that S- sometimes there's also the writing that's my other thing i write things and you can find them uh on the athletic and scattered around twitter i'm doing some things at the ice garden for women's hockey all right well thank you so much for joining us great conversation uh hopefully we can have you back because obviously we're going to uh have a lot of penguins rangers games this year a lot more to come So thank you so much for joining us. It was a blast. Thanks for having me. Okay, Michael. The beats have been dropped. The beats have been dropped. The people have spoken. We just had a great interview. A lot to live up to here. So what do the people got? Okay, um... Todd Yatchison asks, or says rather, tell me why Ron Hextall won't be the next Penguins general manager. I mean, it, like I, we already kind of went over it at the start of the episode. Uh, I don't think he – I think he should be a front runner. Uh, I think really one of the only things that might keep him from it is familiarity. If they can get Tom Fitzgerald or if Alvin walks in and absolutely blows them all, blows the doors off the interview, but – I mean, of, of the guys that are available that they're uh, supposedly talking to, I think Hextall is one of the strongest candidates. Yeah, I think so. Um, I, guess it, I, I mean, I feel, I feel like it probably comes down to what, I mean, I'm sure the Penguins will ask them, what's your immediate plan, one-year plan, two-year plan, all that. Um, who knows what kind of mentality each candidate might have, but I think he has a good chance. I think if you are Ron Hextall or any of the names that are on the list for the Penguins right now, there's there's a way to get this job. And it's to give them a plan to win the Stanley Cup again in the next five years and tell them that you can rebuild and be competitive again in ten. Yeah. Uh, Arnold Slick asks, should I go short on GameStop or long on Bitcoin? Uh, man... I chose a career in journalism. What makes you think I know money? Yeah. Like, I got nothing like, on that. Like, I got an email from my employer today that gave me an update on my 401k, and my response was, I have a 401k? <laughs> uh, Matt Schaefer asks, in your opinion, who is the most overrated, extremely popular band or artist, and why is it Bruce Springsteen? Um, you are incorrect, Matt. Thank you for yeah. the question, but you're incorrect. No, no, hold on. We're sticking on this for a second. I will hear absolutely zero boss slander on this podcast from our listeners. 
Uh, you're welcome to continue to listen to the show, but do not ever come into our mentions. This is the first. This is the slander. this is the first bad question Matt has asked. And and listen, here there is one thing I will say. Okay, I can understand if you do not like Bruce Springsteen's music. I totally get it. But I will say this: if if you like rock and roll, rock music, classic rock, whatever you want to call it, and you have an opportunity within the next few years to when we can go to concerts again. Go see Bruce. I saw him in 09 at Mellon Arena, and it is still the best concert I have ever been to. He is unbelievable live. Yeah, I haven't seen him, but uh, but yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna support this. Quick, quick story, because I know, I know you got to run soon. But so I went and saw him in 09 at Mellon Arena with my dad, right? And I'm that goofy kid that listened to like you know pop punk, punk rock, metal, all that stuff coming up through high school. So you go to those shows as a kid and a teenager and you're like, you know, there's like two opening acts and then the main act and all this, blah, blah, blah. So we're driving to Mellon Arena and I look at my dad and I go, so who's opening for Bruce? And he goes, <laughs> what? And I go, yeah, who's his opener? And he goes, let me tell you how this is going to go as someone who's seen Springsteen multiple times. He does not have an opener. He is going to come out on stage and he is going to play for three and a half hours with nearly no stops. <laughs> There will that is the show, and sure enough, the man comes out, plays for three and a half hours, on a tour where they literally took requests from the audience and crushed all of them. That's great. Uh, Matt Cause asks, "How were we not calling him P.O. Joe?" Oh, that's good. Um, he yeah. also he also asks, "Whatever happened to illegal stick penalties?" And says that his understanding is. When wood blades went away to newer sticks, you can't heat them up the way you could a wood stick. Yeah, it's it's a little bit of that, and it's also that um, – this is the serious answer. The, the joke answer is that there's no more petty coaches anymore, which sucks. you got to love a petty coach. Uh, the real answer, though, is that everything with sticks and equipment now is so specialized that like just about every player has a personalized curve. Yeah. And they're within the limits, if they're even worried about it anymore, of legality. Yeah, illegal stick penalties always remind me of when Yager got a penalty and then came out of the box and scored in overtime. Yep. Um, Flagrant Swag asks, what are some elite school lunch items? For him, it was always the hexagon Mexican pizzas and low-quality chicken patties. The chi- the chicken patties were always good. Um we for had, some reason, we had one Chick Fil A day per week at my school. For some reason, Penn Hills High School described it as chicken patty on a bun, like the bun was a fucking premium item. <laughs> like today, <laughs> today, kids, you get a bun. Yeah, there was there was also uh, Penn Hills had like the 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 old high school. I haven't been to the new high school, obviously, uh, but the old high school like. On one end of the cafeteria was, like, the main lines where, like, you would get, like, your your sandwiches, pizza, whatever they were offering up that day on the menu. And on the other end, there was, like, uh, quote-unquote snack lines where you could get, like, cookies, pretzels, Turner's tea, all that stuff. And one of them, you could get a soft pretzel that had cheese on the inside. And that, like, getting that in a Turner's tea in high school, dude... I felt like I was the richest man on earth when I'd walk back to my table like, that's right, bitches, I got myself a cheese pretzel and a carton of Turner's. Yeah, and that's still a good snack. Damn right it is. 
Um, and last question is from Dev. Dev Dai. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I'm not not sure. If the Penguins were forced to dress one of their forwards at defense, not saying this will happen, but who knows, who do you think would be the best at it? Uh, to be completely honest, uh, like the, the real answer would be Gensel. Just because he's a coach's kid and thinks the game really well, that I think he could maybe uh, do an okay, a passable job, not a good job, but that that would be that'd be my answer. Uh, other than that, I mean, shit, Tanev, just because he's a fucking wild man. Yeah, I feel like you could put him back there and just let him kind of have fun. Um, <laughs> maybe even somebody like Jason Zucker, who's good defensively. Yeah, Zucker wouldn't be horrible. I, I, that's not a bad answer. I mean, this this is a moment where we need Jesse. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that was all I have. All right, well, hey, this is a good episode, man. Yeah, it was good. Uh, again, thank you guys, as always, for listening. We appreciate it. Thank you to Shannon Goldman for taking some time out of her day to come and talk, talk with us. Uh, and you know what? We're getting there, guys. Vaccines are rolling out, but don't let up. Wear your masks if you go out. Be smart. Do what you got to do. Because, damn it, I want to go back to PPG Paints Arena and make a bunch of noise. Yep. I also want to drink overpriced beer, but that's a whole different discussion. So thank you, as always, for listening. This has been the Dying Alive Podcast.